0: Today, we're going to finish up our little series that we've been doing called Blessed Living the Upside Down Life, as today we talk about the last beatitude in Jesus's sermon that he got up and began to teach. And Jesus, when he got up to teach this sermon, uh, this, this last one is an important one, and it's an important one. Uh, as you're going to see today that it is really the climatic point of this sermon that Jesus is giving that all of the other points have been working up until this moment. And it's also important, too, that Jesus would save this till the end because it's almost like this process that the believer has to go through in this process, that you're starting, and Matthew, you're starting at blessed are the poor in spirit, and then when you get on the other side of it, you're going to be blessed are the persecuted that we're going to talk about today. And it's an amazing journey that if you will really embrace this section of Jesus's teaching if you'll really take it to heart I can guarantee you you'll grow by leaps and bounds as a Christian I know I sure have just by meditating upon it even more and so the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to them he opened up his mouth and he taught them remember that he taught them he was trying to teach them Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And now today, as we begin to close, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I imagine that when they heard Jesus get up and began to teach them, rejoice and be glad in your, persecuted, or, in your persecution, that they looked at Jesus and thought, this guy has really lost it. He has really come. He doesn't know who he's talking to or what he's dealing with. Talking about rejoicing and persecution. What in the world is going on? But see, they only saw the beginning of Jesus' life At that point, when they heard these words, they didn't see the end of Jesus's life and the life that he would so live before them. I want to tell you a story about some friends of mine. I have some friends, uh, different people that I've heard uh, that I know from a distance. One of them, he lives in a place right now that uh, when he takes his children to school, he has to go a different way every time for fear that they might discover where he lives or where his kids go to school because of who he is in his community a pastor another story that i've heard recently another uh, friend of mine from a distant who when they are beginning to gather together to worship the lord they have to drive hours and hours circling to make sure that they're not being followed into the gathering because as soon as they do they know the government will come and break it up another friends of mine from a distance they love their brothers and sisters in Christ so much so and they know that they're facing extreme difficulties that they have decided that they would do something that we would almost cringe at but they tear pages out of the bible And they stuff them in bags and tie them to helium balloons and send them over the border of South Korea into North Korea, where the believers gathered there are just so grateful to just get one page of the Bible. And once they've read that one page, they pass it on to someone else. Some other friends of mine have been trying to reach people in the remote parts of the jungle. But there's some people there who think it's their territory and they've done all that they can to try to stop them. So instead what they've done is they've decided they're going to fly in a plane and drop the word of God into them so that they can hear the gospel. Other friends of mine who have said that they love Jesus with all of their heart and they want to begin a life of following him. Caused their whole family to turn their back on them and they had to run for the rest of their lives. A friend who I actually know very personally. I've been telling you about some distant friends, but this friend I really know. This friend I have, is a, he is a descendant of Joseph Smith. And he decided at some point in his life that he was going to follow Jesus. And oh, how that wreaked havoc in the Mormon community. And he had to run for his life. He had to run away. As, as a matter of fact, the people that were after him were his very own brothers, Trying to take his life. You see the stories of the persecuted. Are happening all around us. It's happening all around the world. At all times. And in every country. In every place. Persecution happens in many types of forms. We think of persecution oftentimes in extreme ways. Of ways that cost uh, uh, people their lives. Or cost them their homes. Or they burn down their villages. Or whatever it may be. And that is happening even in this moment. In, day, in this day and age. But there's something about the persecuted I've noticed. That they have a pure love for Jesus that can't be stopped. They love God with all of their heart. In the middle of persecution, there's exciting things that are happening. As it seems to be that just as in, if you read the the book of Acts, as you'll see that when the strong hand of persecution came down upon the church, that when it came down the strongest was when the church became its strongest. When the church rose up to its greatest strength. And this is the same story in countries around the world that are facing extreme persecution is that when persecution has come down so hard, the gospel has flourished and the gospel is being strengthened. It's become a phenomenon recently in the Middle East of a young man, another gentleman who I also know from a distance who has begun to hear the stories. He was, he was a missionary himself. And he went and he began to have interviews with these people all over the world and hear their stories. And as he went to visit in the Middle East, he began to meet person after person that said to him, I don't know why, but I had this dream about this big blue book And so for some reason that person went and he went to his local store. Just happened to have the only copy of the Bible they had. And he began to read the Bible and he gave his life to Jesus. Others had similar stories that had dreams that they had, that they saw something about a book coming to them. And somehow this guy told the story that he was walking through the crowd and out of nowhere someone walked up to him and handed him a Bible. He read it and surrendered his life to Jesus. This has become such a phenomenon that there have been multiple missionaries and multiple organizations that are writing stories about how in the Middle East, in one of the strongest areas of persecution, people are seeing Jesus, seeing Bibles and dreams, but yet they're surrendering their hearts to Christ. Isn't it amazing that God can take what was meant for evil and he can turn it around for good? I say all that today to give us perspective about when Jesus is talking about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. This is a key thing this morning is that we're talking about for the sake of righteousness. Paul told Timothy this. He says that everyone who wants to live a godly life, you're going to face persecution. First Peter said it this way that if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. And if you suffer, it shouldn't be, should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You see, persecution comes and true persecution is when we are facing opposition for righteousness sake you know it's like this it's as if we as the church we as the righteousness of God we are driving up a one-way street eventually you might be able to dodge enough cars but eventually there's going to be a little friction eventually it's going to get a little tight there might even be a collision The world is pursuing one way and we as God's people are pursuing another way. We're swimming upstream and inevitably that is going to cause some type and form of persecution. It's going to create a type of form of not being welcome. Maybe it happens on a small scale. Maybe it happens that you decide that you're going to be bold for your place at work. You're going to be bold for Jesus. And you begin to talk about him. You begin to share him in a a good way, in an appropriate way. Not in a strong, authoritarian way, but in a friendly way. But yet you become the gossip around the water cooler. You become the person that people talk about and look down about. But listen, the Bible teaches us that blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who revile when you are reviled and persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the upside down type of life. And Jesus closed this sermon with the ultimate upside down type of way. Because this type of thing, this type of person, the world cannot get their mind around. The world cannot get their mind around why somebody who is after to take somebody's life would turn around and reciprocate that with love. The world cannot understand that. But that's the upside down life. That's the blessed part of being a believer. We're going against the grain, we're pushing, we're struggling, and we're inevitably going to face tension. But listen, it's persecution for righteousness' sake. It's not persecution for sometimes having a, a big ego. It's not persecution... For having whatever it is that maybe offends you. It's persecution for righteousness sake. It's when all the other parts of the beatitude are being practiced. You're poor in spirit. You're, you're mourning. You're meek. You're hunger and thirsting for righteousness. But yet you're persecuted. This is the type of person that Jesus is talking about. It's for righteousness sake. It's being right with God and right with one another. But yet persecuted. So Jesus goes into this wild sermon, and he begins to go even a little further later on in the sermon, and he tells them this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, how many of us woke up this morning and we said, God, bless my enemies today. Bless all of those who want to see harm in my life. Bless all of those who want to see. No, we probably didn't do that. It's not a natural thing. It's not something that comes just by uh, coincidence. It happens through the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, if we don't learn all the previous Beatitudes, we'll never make it to this point. Listen, if you're being persecuted and you can't learn to be a peacemaker, oh, that's going to be an ugly scene. If you're being persecuted for the faith and you can't be poor in spirit, Oh, that's going to be even worse. All of the other things are necessary to get up to this point. Persecution requires this of us. And this is how I want to kind of frame all of this today. Is that persecution requires us to respond and not to react. Persecution requires us to respond and not to react, as most things do in life. But yet we are a reactionary people, right? It's like a chemical thing. It's like as soon as you add a little bit of persecution, it's we want to react. We want to retaliate. But God has not called us that way. God has called us to respond in a way that is pleasing to him. One writer said it this way, one that I've kind of been reading a lot of, Warren Wiersbe. He said it this way, that people with so low self-esteem, they quickly react and retaliate because they feel that they must defend themselves. But believers who know that they are kings and they are royalty and they are bought with a price, that's my addition, are so filled with God's riches that it is beneath their dignity to retaliate. We know that we're operating on a level that is not going to operate on the world. And listen, as believers, as people of the kingdom, you're going to see that when you're talking about being persecuted, that Jesus in this, he's trying to draw their attention away from the world and look at the reward. He's talking about a kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the reward, rejoice and be glad. He's talking about in heaven. Ultimately, what Jesus is trying to get them to do is stop looking at the fight right here and look beyond that. Look what is going to be on the other side of this. Don't get so caught up in the battle that you forget the fruit and the reward that's going to be on the other side of it. What Jesus is really trying to do to them is help them see that inside of them, he wants to bring his love out of them. He wants to bring his grace out of them, but it's only going to happen if they can get their eyes off of their enemies and onto the reward. Only God can give us that type of love. Listen, it's not natural for the world to love our enemies. It's not a thing that comes easy. It's not a natural thing. It only comes. This is why God promised us his Holy Spirit. You'll notice that if you go back and you read through the Beatitudes and you study them, Look at them once again. And then think about this, that before Jesus left the earth, he, he began his sermon with this. He began his teachings with, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But then before, ultimately, if you want to look at it this way, he wrapped up his one big sermon by saying this, I'm going to leave you one who is, not, is, not, is the comforter and he's going to abide with you and he's going to be in you. And he's going to show you the way and wait in Jerusalem until you receive him. And you're going to receive power from on high. Ultimately, what Jesus was trying to show them is all of this that I've been teaching you. The Holy Spirit is going to be your helper in that. He's going to help you be poor in spirit. He's going to help you be meek. He's going to help you hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's going to help you have the mentality that when persecution is come, coming, that only love is poured out of us. That's a heavenly type of love, an unheard of type of love on this earth, but it happens by the Holy Spirit. What would happen if Jesus reacted to his persecutors and didn't respond with love? What would happen if Jesus, who had all the power in his hands, he told them that? He said, if I needed your help, I could have called a legion of angels here right now in this moment. What would have happened if Jesus retaliated but didn't respond that would have been a lower form than before. Jesus modeled a lifestyle of love for them that he showed them. And if we are going to see the world, hear me today, hear the heart in this, hear Jesus' heart in this, that if we are going to see the world come to know Jesus We must do good to our enemies. We must, as we read last week, Romans 12, overcome evil with good. We must pray for those who despitefully use us. We must pray for those who persecute us. We must conquer evil with the gospel, the message of Jesus. It's that type of love that Jesus showed upon the cross that said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's a It's a love that we may never, the world may never understand, but because we know Jesus, we're able to understand. And our response shouldn't be to react. Our response should be to take up the gospel and pour out love. What would happen if we as the church had the reputation that though we, 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 the world comes against us, we picked up the banner of love and poured it over them. We poured out the gospel. We poured out hope instead of retaliation. God has called us to love our enemies, those who do the worst to us, those who despise us. And the gospel, the Bible is full of stories, enemy after enemy, but yet it was left into the hands of God, not into the hand of people. So let's talk about the reward for a minute. We talked about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And the Bible says that their reward is this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice this. This is the same thing that was mentioned about blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, present tense, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, all of the other ones, he said, they shall. He was talking about a future tense. But once again, in the persecuted one, he says it's present tense. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a powerful picture that we see demonstrated in the whole Bible it was the same story of all of the people who endured persecution and endured troubled times throughout the Bible. It's the picture of who of the God that is with us in the middle of the fiery trial. It's not the God who will be with us. It's the God who is with us right now, that when things are difficult, when suffering comes, when persecution comes, it's the testimony that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what God is saying is he is willing in that moment that persecution comes, in that moment that suffering and trial comes, that he is willing to impart his kingdom into our lives. It was the story of the three Hebrew children in the middle of the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they were thrown in because of their faith in the fire, but yet who showed up in the middle of the fire and didn't have any harm to them? God Almighty. It was the story of Stephen that as they picked up their stones and they began to throw them at him, that the glory of God appeared to Stephen and he looked up and saw Jesus standing at the throne of God. It was the story of Paul that as he was in chains for the gospel, that he would look up one night as he was on a boat and he said, don't worry, there was one who stood by me in the night. It was the story of Peter that though he was in chains, in prison for the gospel, an angel appeared and set him free in the middle of the night. In other words, this is the story of the kingdom of heaven that where there is persecution... Where there is trouble, where there is trial, where there is suffering, there is evidence of God in the middle of that. There is God with the believer. There is God fighting on behalf of the believer. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul said it to Timothy this way, that if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. What Jesus is trying to do is put his stamp of affirmation upon us. That when you are persecuted for his name, when you go out and you represent him and you face opposition, don't you worry because he is proud to call us his beloved, his that he bought with a price, the sons and daughters of the king. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And he said it this way For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is an amazing thing here, because what Jesus is trying to do is to put his closest association with the person who is facing trouble for his name. He is trying to get as close to that person. Listen what he said. Bless, rejoice, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. At one point in Jesus' life, Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And they responded, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And you notice the funny thing about all of those prophets that people mentioned and likened to Jesus was that all of them were persecuted For the gospel. They were all persecuted for the kingdom of God. And basically, what Jesus is doing is he's aligning himself with those who have been persecuted and he's putting his name upon their lives and covering them under his wing. All three of those prophets had been persecuted, and the likewise, that there is an immediate identification with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen, God fights for those who fight for him. God fights for those who will be bold for him. God fights for those who will stand up and say, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God unto salvation. God works on behalf of those who are proud to say, I belong to the Lord and my life is yours. My life belongs to Jesus. Maybe we won't face persecution like some countries do here in the United States. But I know that it's happening in many ways, and even our maybe our families and our friends, maybe we get left out of things. Maybe people look at us different, they treat us different. Maybe it happens in your own home. I don't know. But listen, there is something beautiful. There's something amazing about the person who says, I just love Jesus and I want him more than anything. That Jesus comes right along beside that person and says, I'm going with you. I'm going to be with you in the fire. I'm going to be with you in the chains. I'm going to be with you in the prison. I'm going to be with you in the bedroom when you're left all alone and nobody else wants to have anything to do with you. Jesus is amazed. He honors that in us. Peter wrote to encourage Christians going through fiery trials. Musicians are going to come. I'm going to begin to wrap this up. And as we read earlier in 1 Peter 4, you see, it's easy, as one commentator says, that it's easy for comfortable saints to despise promised rewards. But let them go into the fires and they might change their minds. Because immediately that which what they had now becomes in jeopardy. And what happens is, is when we go through the trial, when we go through the fire, that which may have, we have been taking advantage of before becomes all the more precious to us. You see, the dedication of the saints in the persecution only magnifies the depravity of the sinners. When we're pressing on and fighting in the midst of trouble, it teaches the world. It teaches that our value is our reward in heaven. And God promises to help us endure for the reward on the other side that they may know him. It's for the name of Jesus. It's for the cause of the gospel that many may turn their lives to him. You see, we're at a place in our world, and we're at a place in our time. I mentioned this briefly last week, but I felt it necessary to revisit this. That we've, either, we've got to, in our own lives, all of us here, every one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll have to come to this decision in your life. All of us here. This is so important today. All of us are going to have to come to a point in our lives that we say, it's like, like a marriage vow, really, that we take. For better or for worse, for sickness and in health, for richer or for poor. No matter the cost, no matter what it takes, I'm gonna live for Jesus. We're in a day and age where we're gonna have to discover if we're gonna be devoted or whether we're gonna desert Him. Jesus said. Narrow is the way. and We're going to have to get it in our minds and our hearts as believers in Jesus Christ, in the church, especially in the United States. Whether we're going to serve Jesus no matter the cost, no matter what it takes, I'm going to put my feet down, I'm rooted and I'm planted in this thing called the faith and I'm going to pursue Jesus no matter what. If you don't make up your mind. Oh, how the enemy is roaming to and from all over the earth, looking for whom he may devour. And even if there's a little inkling in our mind that, well, maybe I'm in, maybe I'm not. Oh, how we open ourselves up to become prey for the enemy. We've got to decide, all of us in our lives. I remember I had this discussion in my bedroom many years ago. And I felt the Lord, and I I don't know, the Lord just put this in my heart. I felt the Lord speak to me one night and said, Charlie, are you willing to suffer for me? Oh, Lord, uh, nobody answers that question easy, right? Nobody says, yes, Lord, pick me. I'll do it, whatever the cost. You know what? It took me a few days to answer that question. A lot of prayer and realization, priorities in my life to wrestle with, to say, you know what, Lord? No matter the cost. I'm going to bear that name. I'm going to live for the gospel, for Jesus, and for him alone. I'm not going to desert you. No matter how bad things get in our world, no matter where he may place us, I'm going to stick to Jesus. I love the story in Acts chapter 5. The Bible says that one of the people in the Sanhedrin, they got up as the disciples were standing there in chains in front of them, and they said, you better leave these men alone. You don't know who you're messing with. Listen, if this plan is of human origin, it's going to fail. But if it's from God, you won't be able to stop them. This man wasn't even a believer. But he looked at them and said that you may even discover yourself fighting against God. And the Bible says that they were convinced by him. And after calling in the apostles and they beat them for the sake of the gospel, the Bible says that they again ordered them, don't you speak in the name of Jesus no more. The Bible says that they left that place rejoicing to have been considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. Maybe we won't be beat for our faith. There will be trouble. God teaches us that in his word. We've got to be willing to say, what name do I want in my life? What name, as Peter says, that I'm going to bear that name? I want to bear the name of Jesus. No matter what I'm going to go through, no matter what's going to happen, no matter who may come against me, no matter if there's an army of enemies against me, no matter what, I'm going to plant my feet. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to rejoice and be glad that my life was considered to be count as worthy as Jesus, the one having the sake of the name. No matter what, remember, the gospel always trumps evil. In the end, we know who wins this fight. In the end, we know who overcomes. This is why Paul would write to the church of Ephesus, take up the whole armor of God. Take it up, put it on when you go into battle. But at the end of it all, at the end, when you've done everything to stand, to stand firm with your feet planted. So today, this is a question that all of us have to wrestle with in our faith. Am I going to be devoted? Or am I going to desert? May we have a fresh love for Jesus. I've been praying. I've been praying for some time. And I just really sense this today. That some of us would grab a hold of love for Jesus. It doesn't matter if we lost our home, we lost our family, we lost our car, that at the end of the day, you said, no matter what happens to me in my life, I'm going to stick to Jesus. Oh, it doesn't matter what comes against me. I'm just going to love Jesus. That type of love, listen. Nobody can rob your faith. Nobody can pluck you out of his hand. That type of love, it doesn't matter what comes against you. You know you've got God working on your side, fighting on your behalf, and it's the type of love that we all need in our hearts today that will say, Lord, my life, it belongs to you. You can have it all. My life is simply yours. My future, my plans, my dreams, everything, Lord, it's yours. I give it all to you. Oh, my goodness. Can we stand today? Would you close your eyes with me this morning? I wonder if we could make that a prayer today. Say, Lord, my life belongs to you. That's what the Lord has been wrestling with with us in all of these beatitudes is to say, all right, I've been working on this and this and this, but I just wanna know, Does your whole life belong to me? He doesn't want just a piece of us. He doesn't want just a half of us. He wants our whole life. He doesn't want what we can do for him or how we can act for him. He wants our whole life, every bit of us. And so today I wondered if anyone would join me today and say, Lord, my life belongs to you. I surrender all. I give it all to you today. Every bit of me, Lord, my future, my plans, my dreams, all the things that I aspire to. I trust you. I surrender it to you, Lord. God, I'm not concerned about with this world how things are going to work out. I trust it to you, Lord. I give my life to you. I give it to you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You've you've only given him a little bit of you. I want to pray today that you consider the Lord's call today to surrender your whole life, every bit of you today. The Bible says that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. When you give your life to him, you give that to him as well. You surrender your past, you surrender your present, and you surrender your future, saying, it all belongs to you, Lord. If that's you today, would you just begin to call upon the Lord as we pray? Tell him in your own way. Maybe you say, I don't know how to pray. Just talk to him. Tell him what you want to give him. Lord, look, today we surrender our lives to you. Father, every day I have to wake up and I have to decide, am I going to give my whole life to you? Am I going to give my whole being to you, Jesus? Am I going to give you my future? Am I going to give you my today? Knowing that it is all yours, Lord. God, today may we have a love for you that doesn't matter what comes against us, that it is inseparable. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, Lord. No height, no depth, nothing, Lord, will c- keep us away from your love today. Father, today I surrender it all, and I pray we may give our lives to you once again, Jesus. God, maybe, maybe some of us here today, we've been a lukewarm Christian for a while. We've only given you part of ourselves, Lord. But today I pray that we may take this serious, that we would say, I'm going to be devoted. I'm going to give my life to Jesus, my whole life, everything that I have to offer it belongs to you, Jesus. I'm going to surrender my, my future, Lord. I'm going to surrender my plans. I'm going to surrender my finances, my family to you. I'm going to surrender my friends to you, Lord. Maybe there's some people in here today that are holding on to some bad relationships, Lord. It's costing them their devotions. Maybe there's some people here today, Lord, that are holding on to some other things that are costing them their devotion today. I pray today that you would break that stronghold upon their life today, that we may surrender it all to you today. I'm in 100%, Lord, not 99%. I'm in 100%, Jesus. I'm going to come after you with all that I've got today. Lord, we surrender. We call upon you today, Jesus to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness, Lord. Wash all of that sin away, Father. Forgive us today, Lord. We're sorry, Jesus. May we walk out of here today knowing your forgiveness is in, our, in your hands. You need to pray at your seat. Pray as the choir sings. Stand, lift up a hand, whatever you need to do. But I want to encourage you today. Give it all to Jesus today, your whole life, every bit that you have to offer